0: One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude, and McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life and Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I have been too scared to enter my apartment alone since seeing the new horror film, Talk To Me. You'll hear my conversation with the two directors, and i got to say I was surprised to learn about the heartfelt, tender message at the core of their absolutely terrifying film. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Have you ever seen a movie so scary that you could not be by yourself after? Were you seven or eight years old? Were you 37 or 38 years old? This happened to me last week. And before you judge me, picture this scene, okay? There's a party, a bunch of friends sitting facing a little table. And on that table sits a disembodied white hand covered in writing the game is that you volunteer to sit at the table, you hold the hand, you say, talk to me, and then you get possessed by a demon for a limited time. There is one rule.
1: Cannot go for more than 90 seconds. Am I clear? What happens after 90
0: seconds? Don't want to stay. Uh, my feet are sweating. <laughs> just hearing it again. That's the premise of the new horror movie, Talk to Me. This is the kind of scary that sticks with you in the vein of Ari Aster's Hereditary or, or *Midsummer*, if you've seen those. if you've seen just the trailers. Uh, Talk to Me was co-directed by Danny and Michael Filippo. They are identical twins from Australia. They've been making movies together since they were little kids. They've also been YouTubers with a wildly popular channel called Raka Raka, where they post videos that include wild and sometimes dangerous stunts, fights, special effects, and horror plot lines. This is the Filippo brothers' first feature film, and I got to talk to them while they were jet-lagged and very excited in Montreal. By the way, their voices are pretty identical too. you'll hear. I have to say off the top, I'm a little bit mad at you both because I, the night after I saw your film, I had to call my sister to talk me into my apartment um, and stay on the phone with me while I checked all of the closets and inside of the oven. And I was terrified for days. So thanks a lot. Oh my
1: gosh, there could have been a ghost inside that oven. How you know big your oven? <laughs>
0: You never know. I mean, I live, I was out of my apartment the entire day. Any Anything could have gotten in there. This has been a dream a long time in the making. How are you guys feeling now that it's finally go time and it's, you know, coming out into the world?
1: Well, yeah, it's, it feels like we're dreaming. It Literally, everything's so surreal and it doesn't, yeah, nothing feels like it's actually happening. It's so crazy. All, all the audiences and stuff have been so like, yeah, they're embracing it, which is amazing. Like, we we love seeing the screenings and meeting everyone. It's been, yeah, literally a dream. I, I, we never would have thought this would be the outcome from this
0: independent film that we made. You've had some incredible people expressing how much they loved your film. There's Ari Aster and Jordan Peele and Steven Spielberg and Stephen King. Danny, what does that mean to you?
1: Early on, agents from Hollywood had seen the film. So we got to Sundance. They'd really, like, brought this buzz about it and then got a lot of people interested and one of them brought Ari Aster to the screening. And so he was there for the premiere at the Egyptian theater in Sundance and we were just sitting at the back, just because we're watching and just cringing the whole time. And then like the film finished and I got up, I'm, like, I'm gonna go apologize to Ari for being dragged here by one of the agents. So like, I went over to him to apologize to him and then he like walked over to us and he's like, that was so special. And I was like, what, really? And then, yeah, and then he just, he got our numbers and he's been texting us. So that's been crazy. That That's a, and then you yeah, had Jordan Peele FaceTiming me. So I'm uh, like, yeah, unreal, surreal.
0: Jordan Peele FaceTimed you? What did he say on FaceTime?
1: Oh, just he's saying how much he loved the film <laughs> and that he wanted to meet and, and all this sort of stuff. It was insane. It was crazy.
0: This is just the start for, for you guys, I'm sure, in your, in your feature film world. We'll talk about some of your, your YouTube stuff uh, in a moment. But so this is a movie about, demon possession and a disembodied hand. Uh, Where did the idea come from in the first place?
1: Yeah, there was uh, this experience that I had, this footage that I saw of uh, my neighbors uh, doing drugs for the first time and all the kids that he was with were filming him and laughing at him when he was having a really negative reaction to the drug. So that was like a big, uh, a a starting off, kicking off point for me. And then there was a short film by a guy named Daley Pearson that he sent to me to direct uh, which is about kids having fun with possession and the two things just felt like they existed in the same universe and i I did a rewrite of the short and then once I started writing, I couldn't stop. Yeah, and, and also we wanted to make a film that was current and like what would kids be doing with like an ancient relic like that now? And I feel like that's exactly what would be happening. <laughs> Everyone will be filming it and sharing it and posting it and uh, yeah, intriguing others to come and try it. Because like if you look up hashtag possession or Ouija board online, you'll see so many different people around the world trying it and wanting something to happen. Like the, we've got like a, an obsession with the paranormal and the macabre.
0: Yeah, the macabre is, a, is one way to describe that terrifying hand. Did you have? I'm just thinking about it now. Like the hand is so terrifying in and of itself. This disembodied hand. Did you have to have a <laughs> lot of meetings about what the hand would look like, what the shape of the hand would be like? Like, how did you come? Yeah, about? yeah
1: it went went through like 20 molds trying to find the the hand, and it only I came on set right when we needed it on the third day of shooting. So we had started shooting without our big hero prop. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was difficult to find find the shape. But when we did like. Yeah, it was awesome. And then to put all the everything on there, the, the details that we needed. Yeah, we wanted to have a sense of history and for it to be desperate and reaching and also for the actors to be able to, it, it to be mobile and be able to, you know, move it around because there's so much movement that happens with the hand throughout the film that we had to have it be, yeah,
0: mobile. It's terrifying. I was scared that it was in my oven when I got home from the...
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah no. imagine that.
0: Imagine actually was not your oven. Uh, okay, so the the group of friends that we see in this film are so be- like they're so believable. And knowing that you guys are from Australia and and that you shot this film there and made it with an Australian cast, it couldn't help but think about like you guys And the community that you grew up in. Were you were you drawing on that in what you were trying to to create with this film?
1: Yeah, yeah. Cause even the character
0: James, uh, we cast our neighbor James, who James was based on. Was he your neighbor was your neighbor kid James an actor before that?
1: No, no. He was just uh just a kid. But like uh Riley, who that main possession was based on, was also based on my neighbor Riley, and his best friend was James. They live across the road. Uh and just like knowing their dynamic and knowing the way they talk, like like with a lot of the characters, we're just like based on people that you know and like really giving Weight and depth to that, and, and like capturing how people were speaking and interacting was, uh, yeah, and like it's all drawn from real life
0: experiences. How do you set the tone for that on on set? With like, you know, people are coming, there's lights on them. It's not like you're all hanging out in a living room. How do you how do you make that happen?
1: It kind of was all hanging out in a way. Yeah, like we were uh, the. I think the rehearsal process was really helpful and getting everyone in the room together and, and even playing through scenes as the characters that aren't in the film but is in the character's backstory, so they have that kind of sense of history. And then there was a lot of just bonding and a lot of uno. We've had a lot of uno on set. It was so much fun.
0: I read also that, like, with all these possessions, the actors have to do really, like, weird things, disturbing things. And I read that you made everybody do all the things in front of each other and that, that you guys had to do them as well. Can you say more about that and why that was an important part of the, the artistic process on this film?
1: Yeah, there's some, like embarrassing possessions and it's having everyone go through it together I think helps alleviate some of that I guess that stress or that tension into like oh I've got to go and do this embarrassing thing if everyone in the room's done it uh, you have less to be embarrassed of uh while shooting it and then also it was it was to help with performances as well because everyone doing the possessions could take bits from everyone else's possession because everyone had their own interpretation on on the possession beats. So it was awesome seeing everyone's version. It was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that, that again, was a very big bonding experience and, and a cool way to build everyone's performances.
0: Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? There's some emotionally tough stuff in the film too, right? Like the the main character played by the actor Sophie Wilde has lost a parent and is in this really difficult moment um, in her life. You guys have talked about depression and about suicide being part of your own family history. Danny, I'm curious for you who wrote the – or co-wrote this the screenplay. Um, how personal was that part of the the story for you?
1: Yeah, I mean all of it was um, trying to express those things and talk about those things and, and be a bit therapeutic of what you're writing. Uh I think it's it's a really good way to to alleviate some of those feelings is to put them down on paper and and talk about them and uh, convey them through words. Yeah, the whole the whole writing process, all of it was like a very personal. And um, even even like the shooting of it, we were shooting at our old high school or like the train station that we used to take all the time or the skate park that we grew up in. Uh, so like like having all those things throughout the film just made it feel really really uh yeah I don't know yeah personal.
0: Same thing for you, Michael. Like when you read the screenplay, did you recognize? Yourself yeah, or?
1: I recognised Danny needed some therapy, and <laughs> <laughs> it was it was good. Like, uh, there's a certain moments in there that I feel like elevated, and I, that when I read, I was like, oh, I've, this feels like something special. Um, yeah, so it was it was awesome to read, and yeah, I, I automatically relate to everything because I, I go through almost the same things as Danny, mm. but he's just a lot dumber than me, you know. Right?
0: No, well, look. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you guys are clearly having so much fun together, and you shot this at your high school. What were you like when you were in that high school as students yourselves, like as twins at this high school?
1: Well, oh, we, we were never allowed in the same class. And we got to spend, Yeah, we got suspended a lot as well. Half the teachers loved us, half despised us. Oh, uh, well, not despised. Not, <laughs> yeah, despised. No, hatred. just didn't like. <laughs> Disgusted. <laughs> Just didn't like. But they um, there's still uh, high school teachers that I keep in touch with. And, and even one of them, our drama teacher, Miss Fisher, she came and watched the first cut of the film and gave us notes and all that sort of stuff. And another uh, high school teacher, Mr. Bakari, came and he was an extra in a bunch of the scenes as well. And, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of the school, is pretty funny. They got a grant uh, because – and apparently they, they kept using us as an example to, like, get this – like million, millions of dollars spent on this new drama facility, like this top-of-the-line, like amazing, like, uh, studio. Like oh. they were
0: able to get it because of the success that you've had? Is that...?
1: Yeah, it was like a big thing in the fund They're like, oh, look at... Are it, you it, sure? So? Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. Heard yeah. That. Look at this success.
0: <laughs> Let's go back a little bit earlier because I understand that you started with filmmaking when you were nine years old. So what was going on in your lives at that time that you needed film as an outlet?
1: Well, we had, like... A bunch of kids around the same age. We had parents that were never home, so it was you know we were left to our own devices, and all, a lot of that was either beating the crap out of each other with backyard wrestling, with and we'd use like barbed wire, thumbtacks, fluorescent lights. Like we were horrible. Oh, that sounds and then dangerous. The other half was filmmaking. Yeah, it was very dangerous, but we we had no parental supervision, so we were sort it was of- like Lord of the Flies after school every day. Yeah. Uh, we, we had that grandfather that was helping raise us, but he passed away at we were 13. So as soon as he passed away, it was like... It was truly no holds barred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. But, but um, yeah, I don't know. We were just expressing ourselves and doing little violent clips. And uh, it was like we were jumping between that and the wrestling. And then it was our friend's older sister, Nelly, that really took us under her wing. And she really supported the filmmaking side of it. So we would always make stuff and premiere it for her on the weekends. She told us about Sundance and told us that one day we'd make it to Sundance she would show us Sundance films and then when we were 18 she moved to Salt Lake City and uh we hadn't seen her in 10 years and our reunion was on the red carpet at Sundance and it was insane it was like yeah seeing her again and bringing her there it felt like it felt written it was it was so crazy yeah it felt like a cliche script yeah it felt like if you read it you cringe yeah that's too uh, yeah that fairy tale ending yeah (laughs) yeah but we got to see her again and and share that with her and it was a, a really beautiful emotional experience did you cry uh, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we cried multiple times. <laughs> yeah, we, we cried a lot at Sundance. It was a lot of tears. You did. All, all the cast was there, all the crew, and then the, the, the everything that was happening, like, as soon as A24 were making offers and then Universal and then all these directors reaching out and then there was like bidding wars. It was like the whole experience was very overwhelming. And, uh yes. And, altitude. you know, you're in that high altitude, so emotions were higher.
0: But you're interesting because you're not afraid to show that you're crying. Like, you put out a video. I, I've watched a video just today of you guys showing your reaction to seeing that your film was picked up and that you got a big budget to do it. And, Danny, you're like, you're bawling. You're, like, keeled over. and
1: <laughs> Yeah, like, it's almost to a level of, like, it's pathetic. <laughs> no,
0: it's beautiful. It's actually really beautiful because in juxtaposition with these videos that you have that are, like, in some cases, kind of violent, kind of scary. Definitely not for everybody. They they don't suggest. Oh, this is this is a person who's also going to let you see them cry about achieving a dream.
1: It was always our dream and our goal. And, and like uh, once that funding final part of funding came through, it was yeah, just overwhelming. And it was I was worked my whole life to 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 get there and accomplish that. And so when it happened, it was just uh yeah, I just got got overwhelmed. And, yeah, because um, it's, it's been a very difficult path, like a really long and difficult and uh. For it to all sort of
0: come true. But this is posted to your YouTube channel, like yeah. to your Raka Raka YouTube channel, the same place where I find videos of you guys like, you know, air airtight sealing a car with water and driving it around as a prank or, you know, doing, yeah. doing well, that. The, 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 I was I kind of sharing the moment also with the fans as well. The... Fans that you have on YouTube were so supportive of you making a full-length film. Like people were dying for you to make one, right? There are so many comments and people saying, We love what you do and make a feature film and you have so much talent and all of that stuff. But to your point, Danny, about like there being such a difference between making short videos where nobody's really talking and it's a prank and there isn't a lot of vulnerability, to making a film that has a lot of personal content for you and, and is pretty vulnerable. What was what was that like? Were you were you scared about it?
1: Yeah, yeah, like a a little bit, but like more excited about the challenge and knowing that's always what I really wanted to do. And the YouTube stuff we sort of fell into, but it was a, a great way to like really hone our craft and experiment and, and uh, really build our skill set. So uh, yeah, I, it just, yeah, I felt I felt ready. I felt like it was time. It's always, it's always a bit nerve wracking there watching it with an audience.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Can you help me understand a little bit about what you wanted to emotionally convey with with Talk To Me, like, what's the what's the emotional point of scaring people in the way that you've scared them in this movie?
1: I, I think that... Uh, it's about connection. Yeah, I yeah, and, and, and uh, is that what you would say? I would say about <laughs> embracing genuine connection, yeah, not and, false connections. And, and, like, how scary life can be if you are rejecting those natural connections and you're left isolated and alone and you've got no one to help pull you out of those, those uh, dark holes that you can fall into. So it was just sort of expressing... That at the time. And, and, and uh, escaping through vices. Uh, vices, like whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex or social media, like if you're using those sort of things as crutches, uh, I don't know, it could sort of dig you deeper into a hole. And so I just, you know I was expressing those sort of fears on, on, the, on the screen.
0: For sure. I'm interested in what you said too about connection and genuine connection and just the moment that you talked about, like when you're being raised by your grandfather and your parents aren't around and then you're 13 and then your grandfather passes away. Is there a connection between, I guess, maybe how you would have felt at that moment?
1: Yeah. oh, uh, There was one. Are you going to tell the story about the the accident? Because I feel like that's a big thing as well with the connection. Well, yeah, yeah. I was just at a car accident when I was 16. And uh, I'd split my face open. They thought I might fractured my spine. And uh, when I was in hospital, I just couldn't stop shaking. And uh, they were bringing blankets in, turning the heaters on, trying to get me warm, but I just couldn't physically stop shaking. And my sister came and she sat next to me and she held my hand, and the shaking just stopped. And it was like this uh, there, the touch of someone that I love sort of brought me out of this state of shock that I was in. So I just knew that that power of touch and human connection, like that, it can really bring you out of those moments, whether they're physical, like that was, or emotionally. Like to have someone be able to hold your hand through those things, I think is like a, a really powerful thing that. A lot of people take for granted and it's not until you don't have those hands that you could, yeah, I think the worst things can happen. So the film was sort
0: of conveying that in a way. Has your dad seen the film?
1: Yeah, A24 flew him out to Los Angeles and so he was able to attend some of the press tour of us, which was a lot of fun. What do you think? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, he loves it. He's so proud. He's a little bit embarrassing though, but, you know, that's okay. All <laughs> dads are.
0: In what way? <laughs> like he's very, very, very vocally proud of you. Is that the way?
1: Yeah, I just overexcited. Well, there was like, one part where he was talking to the owner of A twenty four and I was like, Oh my god, what is he saying? And like <laughs> he'll just do stuff that's embarrassing. like he's just too excited. Like we went past the security guard and the security guards like do you, do you guys have ID? And then Dad's like, "Do you have ID?" Oh, oh my gosh, Shut up, my Dad. <laughs> well, you're <laughs> embarrassing us, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, but he just makes funny sounds for no reason, and so like he'll be talking to someone to go, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, and we're like, and they're just sort of looking at him like that. <laughs> I have He's no, an old guy.
0: I have no idea where you get your personalities from. No, no, no clue. <laughs> Can I ask? Has your mum seen the film too?
1: Yes, yes, mum's, mom, uh yeah, mum has seen it too. She, Yeah, she's supportive as well. We love her mum. It's interesting with mum, uh she's always overly supportive, even if, like, we used to do these live events where we'd get pretty injured and she'd go there and she'd be, to support us, but she's crying at the same time because <laughs> she hates it, but then she wants to be supportive. And, yeah, it's a, I think our mum, I don't know what she actually thinks of the film. No, she likes it. She okay, loves it. Okay, she loves it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out mum and dad.
0: Yeah, I bet they're proud too that there's like a thoughtful, emotional core to it. Um, and maybe we'll end on this idea: like, what's the what makes you want to scare people? What's the value of making people scared?
1: <laughs> I think I, I just like creating those big communal, visceral, fun experiences in the cinema. There's something about that, and everyone can connect And, and I think horror is a, a fun way to talk about really dark subject matter and themes, and have it not be. Anything feel preachy or over the top? I just present it in sort of a uh, fun way. I, and I feel like, the, yeah, the most like, visceral reactions you'll get is either through comedy or horror because you're either screaming or laughing and they're two, you know, very strong emotions. So It's cathartic.
0: Well, congrats on making your childhood dreams come true and I feel like this is just the beginning for you. I mean, it's exciting to think about where you're going to go. So congrats. Uh, thank you so much. Well, Sorry you, for the weird you. interview. Uh, <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs> Best of luck so to much. you. Pleasure.
1: Thank you. Nice to meet you.
0: It was nice to meet them too. I don't think it was that weird. They're just, they're very excited. They made, they made a movie. They're twins. What are you going to do? That was Danny and Michael Filippo, identical twins and co-directors of the new horror film, Talk to Me. It is out today that's it for this episode of Q, but you can find another episode in your podcast today right now. In fact, it's my conversation with Misty Copeland. I ripped through her book called The Wind at My Back. It was inspired by this very pivotal moment in her life. She became the first black woman to be named principal dancer at American Ballet Theater in New York, but she didn't see this as a singular or a personal achievement. She saw herself as continuing the legacy that was started by a woman called Raven Wilkinson who has this amazing story of dancing in a white company in the 1950s. So Misty sort of weaves her story together with Ravens and she's got uh, a lot to say about it and about confronting racism in the world of classical ballet. You can find that in your podcast feed right now. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time.